people tend to focus on individual elements in a system, but usually it's the interaction between the components in the system that's, that's just as important, if not more important, to solve the problems. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. In today's episode, we make our way to Sacramento, California to hear from Jeff Bennett. Jeff and I have been in the trenches together, which is probably why this conversation is very close to my heart. Jeff talks about servant leadership, the importance of co-writing a new narrative with our communities, and the frustrations that come with shifting a system. I gotta be honest with y'all, this conversation left a mark on me. I don't know many people who have worked so tirelessly to move our field of ecosystem building forward. Jeff is a rare breed, and he talks openly about the toll this work has taken on him. Pack your bags, friends. We're headed to the West Coast. Jeff. Bennett. Hi, it's so good to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Jeff, I have spent almost no time at the West Coast at all, but that (laughs) is where you are living. So if if we were to come to Sacramento for the first time, where would you take us? Sacramento. So a lot of people may not know Sacramento. It's the capital of California. You know, we often like to say we're the capital of the fifth largest economy in the world. So we're actually yeah, in California, but it's in the Central Valley of California. So we're actually about an hour, hour and a half away from San Francisco in the Bay Area. So um, Sacramento is really, really well located for lots of great things. I mean, there's there's great stuff in Sacramento proper, but we're so close to the Bay Area and San Francisco and the culture that that has. We're so close to Napa and Sonoma. We're close to the Sierras and Lake Tahoe and the mountains and uh, the gold rush country. So it's a really rich, uh, area for, um, lots of activities to do. So it depends on, you know, somewhere to come here, what it is they're interested in. So we have outdoors, we have culture. Um, so it kind of depends. We've got it all here, uh, really. And it's kind of, uh, underrepresented unknown in those aspects. So I will admit when I first met you, and probably the first year or two that we had a chance to work alongside each other and then with each other for the Unsung Heroes of Ecosystem Building campaign, it took me a while to figure you out <laughs> because you are an incredibly, an incredibly <laughs> quiet person, yeah. an introvert, which so many ecosystem builders are. You're very intuitive, but it took me the longest time because I think I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I'm super loud. I'm extroverted. I'm like rah, rah, rah at all times. And the first year I was like, I wonder what Jeff thinks about me. And then <laughs> I found out that you actually used to live in Hawaii. Yep. And I'm picturing you as a long haired surfer dude, which is not at all how I picture you even today. <laughs> well, like- What was that transition like? Uh, so I actually was a long hair surfer dude. Um, uh, the backstory there is, uh, and there are photos on Facebook to, to prove it. Um, 
But uh, my wife and I actually lived in, in, met and lived in Seattle. I used to work at Boeing. Um, and in the early 2000s, and then I worked for another small startup and, and got laid off. And we were, we were avid, avid windsurfers. Um, used to go to the Columbia River Gorge every weekend. And, and that was what our life was all about. And Maui in Hawaii is the mecca for windsurfing. And so, uh, big change in our lives in 2003. We basically dropped out of, of contemporary society and moved to Maui and became beach bumps, windsurfing every day we could on the North shore of Maui. Uh, I grew my hair out long and, uh, basically just did freelance web work for, uh, we lived there for 12 years. Um, in the end, um, that wasn't real sustainable. It's an expensive place to live, difficult place to do business. So we moved, uh, we wanted to come back to the mainland and show Sacramento because we wanted sunny. We wanted uh, kind of the California vibe. Uh, and so we chose Sacramento because it's like the lowest cost of living of any big city in California. So to recap, you went from <laughs> Boeing to exiting society and being a windsurfer and then somehow re-entered society mm-hmm. and found yourself passionate about entrepreneurs and helping them succeed? Yeah. So, you know, uh, I mentioned, you know, after Boeing, I worked for a small software startup for a couple of years. So kind of got bit bit by the, the startup bug. Um, and when I was in Hawaii, I did some, I did freelance work and I worked, I had some clients who were actually in economic development and, uh, saw the way things, you know, typical attraction based focus. And I thought that was all wrong. And I thought people should focus on, on, growing their own. Uh, I moved to Sacramento and really got involved in the startup scene here. Uh, I met my co-founder of, of Startup Sac, uh, Laura Good, and through organizing, mostly through organizing Startup Weekend. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the top of the slippery slope that led me down into ecosystem building. Um, doing Startup Weekends and in 2015, there was a an ecosystem building uh, entrepreneurial support organization in Sacramento that, that folded. They were a nonprofit. They ran out of funding. Uh, and I saw a need to create, um, to help the startup community. So I created a website, startupsac.com, uh, which initially was just meant to be a resource hub for everything going on in the, in the entrepreneurial community here. That eventually grew to what it is now, which we're a, a small nonprofit, underfunded nonprofit, like so many of us are in this community. Um, and basically putting on a few events and, and, and putting out some resources and being, I like to think of us as kind of the concierge of the Sacramento startup community, basically connecting founders and, and entrepreneurs with the resources they need to be successful. So really by taking on that role and, and starting Startup SAC, you knowingly or not became an ecosystem builder and someone who I know from personal experience has thought a lot about how we can create systems, mm-hmm. shift systems, use the power of narrative in changing systems. In your opinion, in the current world that we live in, what is wrong with how we are tackling issues, big and small, but generally difficult problems that affect not just you and me, but entire communities? Mm-hmm. What's the problem with this linear, short-term, narrow way of thinking? Yeah, so, you know, short-term solutions usually tend to focus on one aspect of a much bigger, much more complex system. And they, and those little 
you know, quick fixes tend to come at the expense of longer term and broader issues and, and often undermine longer term effectiveness. Uh, it's, it's kind of like everybody's familiar with the, the, the saying focusing on the symptom rather than the root cause. Uh, and I think that's, you know, a lot of what pervades in society today. Um, a better metaphor that people in the systems thinking world are familiar with is the, the iceberg metaphor. Um, Short-term solutions are those that kind of tend to focus on that bit of the iceberg that, that you can see above the water, um, which are often just, you know, the, the blaringly obvious, you know, recent events or things in the news cycle. But a better approach is to look at the underlying, underlying patterns, that stuff that's underneath the water that you can't see, the mental models, the ideas, the beliefs uh, that fuel the structures and the patterns and the things that you can see. Um, and so if we don't do that. It's just like a game of societal whack-a-mole where you're just attacking the latest problem with uh, that pops up in the news cycle with with the mallet in your hand, and it just it's just a, a not a long-term effective way to to solve the problem. And I also think a lot of effort that's put into addressing these these short-term solutions is is selfishly motivated, and and often it's out of political expediency. People are probably listening to this or probably familiar with Brad Feld and his startup communities book. But you know, he talks about how relying on politics and that short-term election cycle is just a bad idea for for ecosystem building and in general, I think, in solving society's problems because it's all focused on that. Get something done in the next two years because I gotta start campaigning again. If they come all this comes at the expense of really getting to the meat of the problems in society that are plaguing us. On the other end of that spectrum, then, in an ideal world, how do you think we should go about addressing some of these systemic issues? How do we really look at the deeper layers of that iceberg under the water surface? And how do we start working within that? What would that look like? I think it comes first is acknowledging that that everything, especially in today's complex society it's a system and i think it starts with being able to recognize be aware of that that might be just start with education and learning what systems are i mean oftentimes people tend to focus on individual elements in a system but usually it's the interaction between this the components in the system that's that's just as important if not more important uh to to solve the problems um if people are new to systems thinking and, and want to learn about how we can address these systemic issues, I think it starts with education and awareness, learning about systems thinking and learning how to apply that to the challenges that we face. So raising the collective consciousness of society by, by more people learning about it. And then I also think um, we need to have better leaders who are systems leaders who are transformational leaders with a systems thinking worldview than that than the typical reductionist short-term thinking worldview. I'm starting to get the sense the more I learn and study and, and talk to others about systems thinking is that the good leaders actually have very different qualities from what we have been taught to believe about leaders. Mm -hmm. I think we have this idea that a leader is someone really charismatic with with uh, radical ideas and is out front. The mythic hero on the horse with the, yeah. Exactly. But in your opinion, what makes a good leader when, it, when we talk about complex adaptive systems? The term that I like to think of is 
encapsulated in the idea of servant leadership, uh, leading from behind and by example more. But um, I think that that's the simple answer that, that many people may have heard of. There's a there's a term, there's, a, there's actually a really great paper that was published in the Stanford Innovation Review by Peter Senge and others on what they call systems leadership. Um, and, and there's a great quote in there actually written down here, the deep changes necessary to accelerate progress against society's most intractable problems require a unique type of leader, the systems leader, a person who catalyzes collective leadership. And so that new kind of leadership is needed to face the challenges that we have today. Um, and it's really not that hierarchical, top-down uh, leadership style. It's, 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 uh, it, it encapsulates a different mindset around leadership, a shift in a mindset around leadership. So it's, it's managing, not solving. It's nudging, not forcing. It's, it's guiding, not directing, not top-down. It's influencing and not commanding. Effective systems leaders need to use both a both-end thinking mindset rather than an either-or. And it requires giving up control or the illusion of control and accepting a solution that is unexpected or even previously unimaginable. Brilliant. Thank you. Jeff, what you are probably best known for in our space is your capacity as a storyteller. <laughs> um, I've been very fortunate to do work with you on that end and talk talk a lot more about the power of story and narrative in ecosystem building, which I think is really a conversation around the power of narrative when it comes mm -hmm. to systems change, which sounds super highfalutin, but why is it important to talk about storytelling and narrative when we're talking about redesigning or shifting a system? How does it apply for ecosystem builders? It's it's a really interesting topic, this, the idea of storytelling and narrative. You know, if you think about stories and narratives, you think of narratives are kind of like systems of stories. And the narratives that we as a society tell ourselves kind of guide and, and, and control a lot of how we believe about ourselves. And so if we need to, if we want to change society, we kind of need to change the narrative of, of that we tell ourselves. And part of that is imagining a better future. Uh, collectively envisioning a better future for ourselves and collectively working on what that might look like. Um, and so uh, there's some really interesting ideas around, you know, collectively envisioning a new narrative for, say, our ecosystem. What could our community be if we, you know, activated our all of our entrepreneurs, our under-resourced entrepreneurs? What could our community look like if we collectively worked together to do that? So imagining that narrative and telling stories of people who exemplify that, I think, is is a unique opportunity to catalyze our communities to rally around a systemic change to and address systemically the issues and the challenges that we face. What I like about this is you can tell all this without ever talking about systems change because that's sort of one of the underlying mechanisms of let's dream about what our community could be. Let's find the stories that exemplify that dream and that change and, and showcase all the unique assets. And that starts building this, how else might we view ourselves? And I think that's really powerful in shifting communities without forcing it, but just laying it out there and see which stories they may grab and run with and how they start seeing themselves. Because yeah. That's something we don't talk a lot about is how do we see ourselves? I think we're not even aware of the terrible stories we tell ourselves about our communities and 
how simply focusing on more of the positive and the forward-looking can make such a change in how we go about living together and, and the marketplace and how we create a local economy. Yeah, in that paper that I referenced earlier, uh, the Donald System Leadership, there's a great example that Peter and, and his, the writers talk about where they convened a bunch of people who were completely opposite sides of some issue, and they brought them together to envision a better way. And it was amazing how they actually, at the end of the process, they had come together to define a better way to, to move forward and address the issue rather than just continually whack-a-moleing the, the problem and, and being at each other's throats. Many conversations I have with ecosystem builders are around how do we build trust and collaboration among parties that usually are competitors? And I find that finding that shared vision that is bigger than any individual player can help guide those efforts. And that's really just another way of saying writing a new narrative for that community is that shared vision that they create. Hi, friends. I'm trying out something new for season three, and I hope you'll join us. On April 14, 2022, I'll be hosting our first community conversation called Burn Both Ends. I want to invite you, the listeners, to help co-create this show, and I would really love your input. Burn Both Ends is going to be a conversation about the emotional and mental toll of driving social change in our communities. What does it mean to take care of ourselves? What's getting in the way? How can we mitigate the effects of long stretches of incremental progress? And when do we need to step away? What does a sustainable lifestyle mean for purpose-driven community champions? At Burn Both Ends, you are invited to share your personal experiences and help me phrase the big, hard questions. In Season 3, I will set out to find us some answers. Come and co-create the next season of Ecosystems for Change. You'll find the link in the show notes. And now, back to the show. Obviously, talking about complex adaptive systems is not sexy to everybody and anyone. I wouldn't say it's one of the more accessible concepts out there. Why do you think it's so hard for us, so unnatural to think in complex adaptive systems? This paradigm of is so ingrained in our, our culture, our, our mindsets for, for hundreds of years. I first learned about this stuff in the early 90s. I was, I was, I don't, <laughs> I was getting, I was working on an MBA after hours and, and read a paper about uh, Frederick Taylor, who's the father of scientific management and how he influenced, um, you know, a lot of the business and organizational culture for centuries. We've been a society of top-down control. And in the early 20th century, for example, factories and business were, were viewed as parts that could be optimized. And, and Frederick Taylor, he revolutionized the factory process and the business processes in the early 20th century by taking a reductionist approach and looking at things as machines with individual parts and optimizing them. And those same principles of scientific management took hold in our society and business and work culture. And actually that's been around for centuries, going back to Newton and the people of, of the scientific revolution. They took a reductionist paradigm. So over centuries it's become deeply entrenched and ingrained in our Western culture. Um, and so it's really hard to get out of that. And there's, there's actually a great talk uh, at the, one of the first, actually the first uh, Kaufman Eship Summit in 2017 by David McConville, where he, if anybody's interested in, in diving into that, about how the the evolution of these paradigms has shifted from this top-down approach to more of a systems network thinking kind of an approach. But I think we're beginning to see people realize that we're, we're in a much more connected networked world. So I think we're starting to see a shift from that old paradigm to a new, more 
systemic systems thinking uh, paradigm. You already hinted at this a little bit, but what can each of us do to think and act more in line with complex adaptive systems? What are some of those first steps? I think it starts with education. Um, you learn about what systems thinking is, learn about what complex adaptive systems are. Brad Feld and Nina Hathaway did an absolutely fantastic job of explaining that in um, their latest book, The Startup Community Way. You know, any ecosystem builders listening to this podcast should absolutely pick up a copy of that uh, and read that. It's it's a great primer on systems thinking and complex adaptive systems. I'd say start there. I mean, we have to. It's it's and it's it's a deep subject and get and it can become overwhelming. But start with you know small steps, baby steps, uh, and just uh, learning for yourself and help spread awareness of it. And, and I think that's that's how we can spread the paradigm and become everybody become more systems thinking like as you just said yourself this can be really overwhelming i think also some of the work that we've been trying to do as ecosystem builder can be overwhelming how do you make sure you don't drown in that complexity and knowing that you're playing a small part in the bigger picture i mean how do you make sure you don't lose sight of what is possible it's general advice. I mean, and I, I alluded to this just in the last question is go take, you know, education, start slow. Don't try to go too fast. Don't burn out on it. Um, learn, pick up a few resources like uh, the Startup Community Way. Uh, there's a great book called Systems Thinking for Social Change. It's, a, it's got a lot of good information. Start small. Don't feel like you have to change everything right away. But in that book that I just mentioned um, by David Stroh, thinking, Systems Thinking for Social Change, he outlined three shifts people need to make. The shifts are from just seeing just their part of the system to going, uh, seeing the whole system. That's one. From hoping that others will change to seeing how you can first change. And from focusing on individual events and crises and fires to understanding and redesigning the deep system structures that give rise to them. So seeing those interactions. I think it starts with education understanding that we're part of a system, uh, understanding that we're part of that system and, and that we need to change, not expect others to just change. And, and then looking at interactions between components in the system and, and just start being aware of this. I mean, it sounds kind of Zen and, and <laughs> new agey, but um, just start there. I am so grateful you referenced that book, Systems Thinking for Social Change, because I'll admit I try to read it. I got about halfway through. <laughs> it's, it's <tough. laughs> I, I put it away. It's like I appreciate, I really do the research and the thoroughness that has gone into it. And I can't read it. I just can't get there, which is, you know, I think a lot of people experience when they start with this complex adaptive systems work. So um, thank you for giving us a recap so I don't have to beat myself through the book any longer. <laughs> well, the first... <laughs> The first chapter or two, I, I think, are a good starting point. And then, yeah, put it on your shelf and refer, use it as a reference. But I would start with Brad Feld and Ian Athway's uh, book first, for sure. Absolutely. Jeff, I got to put you on the spot a little bit because I can't let this conversation pass without talking some of the struggles we've been through together. I mm -hmm. mean, on the one hand, you are a local ecosystem builder in Sacramento, which is, I think, incredibly valuable and there's so much experience there but then you also took it upon yourself with a small group of other enthusiasts for ecosystem building to help advance 
the field of ecosystem building in the U.S. as part of the Kaufman effort. Uh, just a quick recap for those who are not familiar, the Kaufman Foundation convened ecosystem builders from around the world, uh, from around the U.S. mostly, I would say, mm -hmm. in 2017 for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say. Yeah. And then held an annual conference called the ESHIP Summit that was all structured around trying to break open this field, advance the work, codify, find a shared language, think about metrics, everything that sort of seemed to be pertinent to the field. And then you and I, along with a group of really dedicated other practitioners, became the eShip champions, people who would um, invest a lot of their free time into keeping those working groups going from one summit to the next, convening a monthly calls, in our example, uh, running the campaign Unsung Heroes of Ecosystem Building. So I feel like there was this second level of ecosystem building that was really being an ecosystem builder of mm -hmm. ecosystem builders. Yeah, for sure. And then it just kind of fizzled out. Can <laughs> yeah. you tell me a little bit more about what that experience was like from your perspective? It's frustrating. Um, you know, I think anybody who's done ecosystem building for very long knows that it's a very, can be a very frustrating experience and thing to do, especially if you're doing it as a, you know, like I am and like many do as a, as their own small nonprofit, say, if you're part of a bigger organization or government or a university, it may not be quite as frustrating, uh, although I, I've heard that's debatable, but it's very frustrating at the, at the local level to try to get traction to try to get support and funding to do the work so there's that frustration there's also it's it's a slow process and i think i made the big mistake of of trying to do too much too fast i think you know brick going back to brad feld you know he says take a 20-year approach and be patient and i think i really screwed up there because i expected to make changes faster than i should have expected them to at the local level and then the same thing applies at the at the field level where, like you said, trying to grow the field of ecosystem building, I was again, very impatient. Um, and I think we need to foster some patience because burnout is absolutely real. I've, I've been there. I'm there. I'm actually right in the meat of being burned out with this right now. And, and at the point where I'm not going to be able to continue to do all I'm doing for much longer. Um, and so, I think having that mindset uh, to be patient, to take it slow, is absolutely critical for anybody wanting to do this work uh, at the local level, at the field level, at both levels. I know it's tough, especially when you're trying to, the thing you're doing is also your, your way of making a living. It can be really, really difficult. Um, lately, over the last couple of years of, of experience of burnout, I've, I've I've kind of gotten into meditation and mindfulness and a term that's come to mind through that is equanimity, uh, which is basically accepting and going with the flow and, and not trying to control everything and, uh, and accepting what is. And I think that is key for sustainable ecosystem building. That process we went through together of trying to organize this field with our hearts and sweat and tears and blood that was really painful towards the end, yeah, I would yeah. say. Um, I think expectations were set that weren't met. I think we invested a lot that didn't necessarily feel reciprocal. Not to say that we did it because we were hoping to 
be showered in millions of dollars and awards and anything at the end. But obviously, there's only so much you can give if you don't receive anything in return. With this lens of better understanding complex adaptive systems now, do you think there's anything we could have done differently and have gotten different results? Or was the timing wrong? I'm still haven't put it behind me because I still can't quite make sense of what happened and where we went wrong. Yeah, and I, I, I'm totally with you on that, the frustration and the burnout. You, when you put all your, your energy and your passion into something and it just doesn't feel reciprocated or get to the point where you want it to, it's it's tough to deal with. Um, I don't know. I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how it could have worked out better, um, and I don't have an answer to that. Through a systems thinking lens, I think it comes down to, from my own personal perspective, I think I was, I had too high of expectations of it happening too fast. And I think, again, I would have been better served if I had been more patient, uh, taking a slower marathon versus a sprint approach, small steps and not expected things to move so fast. Uh, that's, that's what I'm telling myself anyway. That's how I'm trying to deal with it. <laughs> And, you know, it may be to the point, you know, for me, I need I need to take a break from it. Uh, You can only put so much of your energy into something that if you don't get something back, you have to take a break. And that's where I'm at. So uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm going to be going through, you know, in 2022, I'm taking some time. I'm taking a step back um, from some of this work because I'm completely burned out. And uh, other ecosystem builders, that may be something that other ecosystem builders need to consider, too. I'm in a position where I'll be able to do that. Uh, and if, you, if other people aren't, then I'm not sure what the answer is. Yeah. What does that feel like stepping back from what you feel like you've been called to do? It's tough. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, it is an engaging thing that I, I feel passionate about. But uh, if it's detrimental to my health, I have to do it. You know, for my physical health, for my mental health, I have to take a, a I hit the pause button. I kind of hope that someday I'll come back to it and have the energy to come back to it. But just making the decision to hit that pause button is calming. Uh, and, and finally accepting that I can actually, I, I can do this. I need to take a step back. The world's going to keep going. It doesn't need me to survive. I can contribute, find other ways to contribute it, or I can contribute later. It's been very helpful mentally for me to do that. That leads to my next question. If you were to come back, and I hope you do as soon as it's (laughs) safe and healthy for you to do, what will need to be in place for you in order to do this work for the next 20 years? I think what needs to be in place is is my own uh, mindset in in my own mind. I think it all starts internally with each of us. We have to have the right mindset, not expect too much. Uh, Like I, I mentioned earlier, having that that mindset of equanimity of acceptance just you know i can put some of what i have available into it without trying to control it or have too high of expectations i have to be able to once i get to the point where i'm rested enough to be able to put any energy back then that's the that's what i have to have in place in order to do it i don't know from a broader field that i can necessarily expect anything to be in place and i think Having that expectation in the first place is part of my problem. I mean, 
I mean, think about it. That's an issue with systems change is, is expecting others to change and do things rather than yourself. So I, I think giving up on that expectation that some other grand organization or, or, or big pool of money is going to be available for ecosystem builders, giving up on that, I think, is key to me to be able to come back. I know people won't want to hear that, but I think that's that's the reality that is. I I don't really know how to come back from that. And I'm depressing it is a, you, aren't I? It is it is a very sobering truth that I am still coming to terms with. But you seem to be ahead of the curve, so so thank you, thank you for sharing that with us and giving me and us some guidance on how to think about this. I always do a rapid fire round at the end here, but before we go there, I want to make sure people know exactly where to find you. Um, all of our listeners can find you at ecosystembuilderhub.com for stories, case studies, campaigns, profiles, book recommendations, whatever your hungry ecosystem builder heart desires. Jeff, you are also an avid writer on Medium, so mm -hmm. people can expect or can find your content on Medium. You are also on Twitter as Digital Splash. So whoever wants to find you can find you, and I'll make sure that those links are in the show notes. Cool. Now, rapid fire round. Are you ready? Yep, go for it. Systems thinking is? System thinking is a discipline to help address the challenges of operating and adapting in an increasingly fast-paced, interconnected, unpredictable, unstable, emergent, complex world. <laughs> That's a mouthful, huh? That made me really nervous, but you're right. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's, I like to think of it, it is a system. I mean, it's a discipline and, it, and you can't encapsulate a discipline in one sentence, but it's a, it's a, it's a new paradigm and a discipline and a way of, of operating in this new emergent, evolving, interconnected networked world. Thank you. A systems thinker everyone should know is? I My go-to guy is Ian Hathaway, you know, the co-writer along with Brad Feld of the Startup Community Way. A lot of people are more familiar with Brad, but uh, Ian's got a blog. He's active on Twitter. Uh, he's got lots of publications and white papers out. So uh, I think everybody needs to know about Ian, Ian Hathaway. Great mind on, on system thinking and, and the complexity. One resource that you would recommend to other systems thinkers apart from the startup community way? You know, the first book that, that really influenced me is Peter Senge's Fifth Discipline. Um, that came out in the early 90s, and I think the information in it, it's probably been updated, but the information in it is is spectacular. It's another tough one to get through. That's why I recommend uh, Startup Community Way is, is the best place to start, but... Uh, if you could rule that one out for me, since I mentioned that I would go with Senge's fifth discipline. Excellent. Jeff, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us today. And thank I you. look forward to seeing what is next for you. I do too. I don't know what that's going to be. It's, it's a complex adaptive process going forward. So we shall see. It will be emergent. Yes. Thank you, Jeff. All right. Thank you, Annika. Be sure to find out more about Jeff's work at ecosystembuilderhub.com and on Twitter as Digital Splash. Before we finish up today, I pay my respects to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Tuscarora, Shakori, Saponi, Okanichi, Lumbi and Ino people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water and community. 
I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media. <laughs>